episode 18 of Talent Jackie. You're listening You're to Talent Jockey Podcast, special for job seekers, recruiters, and hiring managers. One of the few jockeys who has never ridden a horse, your host, Sean Kelly. I am indeed your host, Sean Kelly. Thanks for tuning in to Talent Jockey, a podcast for job seekers, recruiters, and hiring managers, where I provide advice and insight into the world of talent acquisition. Thanks for joining me today. I am going to talk about veterans, specifically screening veterans. Uh, If you're a recruiter or hiring manager, how do you figure out if a veteran is good for a position in your organization? It's, It's not that easy. Veterans come from all kinds of different backgrounds and military experience. And sometimes the lingo and what they've done is hard to translate into civilian life. So what I'm going to do is do my best at giving you some direction, recruiters and hiring managers, on how best to assess a military member's background. It's not easy. But I'll give you I'll give you a start and some background into that and hopefully and hopefully it will give you give you a base in as far as the direction goes. To give you an idea um I am a veteran. Uh, I had two different enlistments. Uh, I was in the Army and enlisted for two years, got out for a year and a half, and then went back in for, um, did I say get out in a year and a half? I was, it was a two-year enlistment. I got out for a year and a half. That's where it was. And went back in for another three and a half years. And I was enlisted, and we'll start there. To give you some insight into veterans, you kind of have to know a little, a few fundamentals of military life. Okay, I'm not going to go into a huge tirade because that could be quite an amount of information. But obviously, the there's five branches of the military, and there's different iterations of those branches. And I'll elaborate. So we have the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard. Okay, those are the big ones. They have different sizes, uh, different uh, different amount of. Uh, their size ranges as far as members in those branches. But they have a common a, a common rank structure. I'll go into that a little bit in detail. But the different iterations is, you know, active duty, there's guard, the reserve, there's full-time guard, full-time reserve, 
And to elaborate on those a little bit, so if you're active duty or you've been discharged or retired from active duty, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, what that means is that the individual was a member and and stationed wherever they were, wherever the military had placed them to do a job and essentially 24-7. Okay, yeah, when I was in the Army, you'd have your weekends off if you weren't deployed anywhere, and maybe there was some duties that rotated where you'd have to work the weekends. But when you are in garrison, stationed at a base, and not deployed, so deployment um, may be into a hostile uh, environment, so some deployments more recently that people may Uh, No, are you know uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and it and it's just not limited to those. Um, Some may remember, oh, Grenada, uh, Kosovo, um, Kuwait. So when you're deployed, some may say, well, Korea, even though Korea is. it wouldn't associate it the same deployment as Iraq or Afghanistan, where there may be, uh, where it's in more of a hostile environment. Nonetheless, typically a, a member of active duty will be stationed at a kind of a home base. And then those, it rotates. So you may be, for example, when I enlisted in the military, I went to basic training. Okay, that's where they start out, and that's eight weeks of training, and that's where you learn all the fundamentals. And this is from an Army perspective, right? So the different branches may be a little bit different depending on their job as well. But I'll speak from my experience having been in the Army, okay? Just keep in mind that it's not going to be the same for every veteran that you speak to. So when I joined, they stationed me in Germany, in Augsburg. It's a, a relatively bigger city um, in Bavaria, and I was stationed there for almost two years. And then um, when I got out, they I went back in, and then they placed me in Germany again, in another smaller, smaller town, but bigger uh, military community. And then I got orders after two years to come back to the U.S., where they stationed me at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Now that's active duty. And when I got out, I was honorably discharged. So typically from active duty, you'll be discharged. Um, Officers will be discharged or they'll retire their commission. Okay. And I don't want to get into, okay, some some of the nuances and how that all works and the differences. But nonetheless, when I was discharged honorably, from the army, I was at Fort Sill, and then they provided me a means to get home, which is Madison, Wisconsin. Okay. Now, not everybody has the same path. So that's active duty, kind of in a nutshell, without getting into a ton of details, uh, and what I did during active duty. And I may touch on that as we go along. But there are also reservists. National Guard, there's Air National Guard for the Air Force. 
there's Air Force reservists, Marine reservists. Um, and the difference between National Guard and reserves is National Guard is run by the respected state. Okay, so the chain of command goes up through the state to the governor, where in the reserve, it's federal, and that goes up through the federal government to the president, commander-in-chief. Why do I point those out? Because you may be talking to reservists, or you may talk to somebody who was active duty. It just gives you a frame of reference. So the Army, the Guard and the Reserves are typically, not always, but typically they're what we would consider like the weekend warriors. They do one weekend a month, two weeks a year of training. Now, they can always get deployed, and that puts them kind of, uh, it puts them into an active duty status. Okay, even though they're part of a reserve or guard unit. So, for example, if we have the conflict in Iraq, there were plenty of National Guard and reserve units that were called up and deployed to Iraq in, in an active duty status. So they went there and they weren't doing one weekend a month in Iraq. They were, you know, seven days a week, 24 hours a day until their deployment ended and they would come back to their, to their home base. Okay. So those are some of the differences of the different um, military. And then also you also have full-time reservists and full-time guard. Those individuals are actually like, like active duty. Their job is Monday through Friday. They go to their guard or reserve base, just like an active duty individual would. So they're not doing the one weekend a month. They're more of a permanent um, fixture, for lack of better words, in the guard or reserve. There's not a lot of them, and typically they're ones that are supporting a guard or reserve unit. So think of it as think of those individuals as being full time members of the military, but they're assigned to a guard or reserve unit, and they'll usually do support. So when I was in the guard for a, a small amount of time, the supply chief and there was an administrator of the unit, and they worked, you know, they worked. 8 to 5, 7 to 4.30 every day, Monday through Friday, including the weekends that the reserve or guards uh, would drill, what was what they would call it, drill. So um, they were always kind of involved. They were always working for that unit where their associates and their peers may only show up the one weekend a month, two weeks a year. Okay, so that's a little bit of the the different veterans that you may come across. Now, some of them may be retired. Some of them would have gotten discharged. If they were discharged, they could get discharged for a variety of different reasons, medical, honorable, honorable, um, you know, uh, dishonorable. Um, so being honorably discharged is in good standing. Okay. They fulfilled their commitment. 
they exited the military and they didn't re-enlist or re-up their time to stay in the military. So, for example, when you join the military, you typically have a certain amount of time that you enlist for or commit to. Now, once you get closer to the end of that commitment, you have the option to re-up or re-enlist. And that's how people end up becoming 20-year veterans and ultimately retiring because you're eligible to retire typically around the 20-year mark. Now, there's individuals that may do 23 years or 22 years, 25, what have you. Maybe they do 10, right? So when they get done, and usually when you re-up or re-enlist, it's for a limited time. Maybe it's three years, four years. Um, And then when that comes around, you have the opportunity to re-up again. So when people retire out of the military after 20 plus years, they're basically saying, they're either not eligible to re-up or re-enlist or extend. And so then they opt to retire. All right. When you're talking to veterans, you can ask them that information. So I see that you are a veteran. Tell me a little about that. Is it, was it active? Were you army or sorry, you know, maybe the branch will probably be listed and then you can ask them, Were you guard, reserve, active duty? How many years did you have? And what was the nature of your departure from the military? And if they say, well, I don't understand what you're asking, you can say, were you honorably discharged or what was the nature of your discharge? And they they should tell you, and many, many of them will say that I was honorably discharged. Um, All right, so just to frame that up a little bit. There's different, um, there are also also different type, there's two kind of paths in the military. Well, there there may be more, but I'm going to go on the main ones because I know there's veterans that may listen to this and say, well, what about, what about these guys? So I'm not going to get into what warrant officers are, but enlisted and officers. Enlisted are typically the individuals that go into a recruiting station and sign up for the Army, and their ranks are typically private, and this is from the Army, and some of this transfers over to the Marines because there's a similar rank structure, but essentially it's private, private first class. You may have a specialist and a corporal, and then you go into sergeant, the sergeant ranks. In the officer side of things, I should back up. On the enlisted side of things, you have the ranks, which I just mentioned. And then you also have E-grades. And E-grades are similar to what corporate America may, may equate to salary grades. Okay. Typically, the rank and the E-grade correspond to each other. For example, myself... When I got out, I was a corporal. The e corresponding E grade to corporal in the Army is E4. Okay, so I went through E1, E2, E3, and then I got E4. So promoted up through there. And same with those other ones. Now, the Navy has seamen. Uh, I think they have, I don't know if they have seamen first class. I think there's petty officer, chief petty officer. Um... 
might be even a petty officer first class in there. Not wholly familiar with the Navy structure offhand in the enlisted side. Air Force, you have airmen, airmen first class. Um, then I think they get into the sergeant ranks. Sergeant, tech sergeant, master sergeant. Some of those, tech sergeant. Okay. Coast Guard, I'm completely ignorant, I have to admit. Um, so that's the enlisted side. Marines are similar to the Army. So they have uh, private, corporal, uh, I'm sorry, private, lance corporal, corporal, and then they go into the sergeant grades. Then there uh, is the officer side of things. So what's the difference between enlisted and officers? All right. With officers, uh, they're commissioned, right? And when you're enlisted and you become a sergeant, you are non-commissioned or a non-commissioned officer. Commissioned officers have typically a degree, a bachelor's degree. Uh, They go through more demanding uh, qualification process and their assignments are typically focus on leadership and administration. Think of it as management in the corporate world. Enlisted members, uh, they may not need, they, they can have degrees, though they don't need to. And then, of course, they're more in the te- technical aspects of the work, more frontline staff. Okay. Um, enlisted members can become non-commissioned officers, which I mentioned, which would be like sergeants, um, in many of those branches that I mentioned. And, um, they can also move over to become a commissioned officer. They can do that through, uh, officer candidate school in the army. So I could be a corporal. Maybe I have the opportunity to go to officer candidate school and become an officer and a commissioned officer. So there is an option there. Now, officer ranks in many of the branches of military are typically uh, for Army, Air Force, and Marines. The, the rank structure is typically lieutenant, captain, major, lieutenant colonel, colonel, general. And then, of course, there's four ranks of general. There's a couple ranks of lieutenant. In the Navy, I'm a little ignorant, but uh, it's ensign, lieutenant, uh, I think commander, captain. And then I think there's admiral. I might have missed one in there. And then they have corresponding O grades. All right. So instead of an E grade for enlisted, they have O grades for officer. And they correspond with the rank. So they have 01, 02, 03, 04, 05. And the E grades and the O grades are uniform across all of the branches of military. So you can be in the Navy and be an 03, and you can be in the Army and be an 03. The rank may be different. So when you're talking to an individual, you can ask them, what rank were you and what was the what was your grade? And they'll tell you. And it will give you an idea where they fall in line in the structure and the hierarchy of their military unit. 
Okay. Now, when you also enlist, and I say enlist, not officer, but when you enlist, you're typically given or you're accepting a military occupational specialty or MOS, right? That's kind of the job that you're assigned to doing in the military. Now, MOS is specific to Army and Marines where the Navy has what's called the Navy Enlisted Classification, or NEC, and then the Air Force has specialty codes, or AFSC. A little bit different, but all of those are really about the job that the individual is taking on in, as a role in their respected branch. Officers are a little bit different. They get assigned to different assignments, um, there are certain paths that they can take. For example, I knew a lot of lieutenants would be given options. And I think they could pick or vie for those, and that changes. Their roles can actually change pretty, uh, I would say, I don't know, frequently, but they have probably a lot more flexibility in the job paths that they take in the respected branches. For example, I had a lieutenant uh, that was in our unit, in our section, assigned to our section, and he was a fire direction officer. And they typically do that for a year or two, and then they take on another role. Now that role could be an executive officer of a unit, or it could go into a staff position somewhere else. But for enlisted, you have a, uh, in the Army again, I'll refer to myself, you have an MOS. And for the MOS, again, the codes will change from one branch to the next. But for Army and Marines, the MOS will typically be a a number and a letter. And then maybe another number. Well, you do have another number. So the number I had was my MOS was 13 Echo or 13 E. And the 13 series in the Army corresponded to artillery, right? The artillery, for lack of better words, department, right? If you had a, if you carved it up into departments, um, mine was in artillery. There were 13 Foxtrots or 13 F, there were 13 Bravos, 13 Mikes. And that letter designation defined what their role was within that department, And after that, there would be maybe another code, like 10, 20, or 30. So I was a 13 Echo 10, which means that I was in the artillery, the E stood for fire direction, and the 10 was the level that I was at. Okay? If I was a 20, I would probably be a sergeant, like a level two in that space. A 30 would be a senior level sergeant in that artillery designation. And typically that would fall in different levels of the unit. Okay. Lots of absorb. If you don't get it, totally understand. If you have any questions as we go through this and you, something's just kind of, Hey, I really need to know this and you weren't clear on it. Go to talentjockey.com forward slash 018 and I will clear up any questions or find out what I can.
Just leave a note in the comments. When I was in that section, um, the I had an officer and a lieutenant. So he was the fire direction. He was an O one, and then he had his role in that section. And then he could go on and do something else when he was done with that that job after a year or two. So that's the MOS. Now, there are links that I will put in the show notes that what you can do is you can go to a website and you can plug in an MOS. So somebody gives it to you and you're wondering what they did. Maybe you have a relative that was in the military and they say, yeah, I was a 13 Echo or 13 E. And they kind of explain it to you, but you really want the formal. Then you can just go to this website, plug it in there and it'll tell you. And it's actually in terms that you'll probably understand. It'll convert over to the civilian world pretty well. Now, a lot of these military occupational specialties or MOSs um, may convert over really well to corporate America. Some will not. Mine definitely would not. However, there are traits, a lot of traits that veterans are trained on that do very well in corporate America. There are also some that are specific um, specifically will transfer really well into the civilian world. For example, I was a 13 Echo. I was in fire direction for artillery. I probably won't be able to find a job that is non-military that utilized my specific job, the the duties and responsibilities. um, Well, day-to-day, operationally, would not probably convert very well. Okay. There are ones that do very well, like say I was a uh, personnel administrator. Now that could be human resources, right? I sat in an office and I processed paperwork. Uh, maybe I uh, did orders for members and, and did promotion packets, a lot of administration, maybe identification uh, cards, things of that nature. Those could probably convert. I know they can convert really well into the civilian world. And when you explain it, uh, maybe there's a finance unit in the army. Okay. They mess around with people's pay, bonuses, um, changes of status, or, um, different types of pay. So if you go to, um, a hostile zone, um, you may get hazardous duty pay. All right. So finance has to kind of do that and process it. So you might be in finance doing that, processing that information, which in the civilian world, you might be able to get into a role in finance administration of a corporation. Now, going back to um, officers, because they're in administration in some of those, um, you know, we used to have a saying in the military, if somebody said, were you, actually I had this happen not too uh, long ago. I had an individual say, well, were you an officer? And I said, no, I worked for a living. Okay. It's kind of a jab. That's a jab at the officer corps. Um, because we we did all the the hard grunt work, so to speak. Now that's now that's all our internal jokes and jabs. But um, great respect for the officer corps, of course. But you know we make fun of each other. Even the different branches make fun of each other. But nonetheless, I'm just giving you a background so you kind of have an idea of things that you'll want to know and things that you'll want to ask questions about. And when you're screening veterans, it's really important recruiters and hiring managers 
to understand that you don't, you may not know everything. Okay. You have to know, you have to come to terms that, Hey, I don't know this. I don't know this stuff. I don't know that life. I don't know what you would do day to day. You know, I watch movies. I have relatives, but I really don't have a concept of what you've done and how that's going to relate to my organization or my role. So you have to, you have to get it together and have a, you have to ask a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. And even myself, who is a recruiter and spent five and a half years in the Army, when I come across somebody that's even from the Army, my own branch, I have to ask and ask and ask different questions. I have to probe because I don't know what every job in the U.S. Army does. And I don't know what every rank in every job in the Army does. Now, when veterans separate from the military, they go through a transition uh, transition program, program, I guess, in which they will attend classes on how to write resumes, convert their military lingo into civilian language. People will teach them how to search for jobs, prep them for civilian life because it's much different. And part of their job is, again, to take some of those military terms and lingo and get it into a format and terminology that recruiters in corporate America can understand. Sometimes they do a really good job. Sometimes uh, veterans aren't sure, so they'll kind of put that out there. But it's up to the recruiter and the hiring manager to really get an idea of is that are some of the things that they did as duties and responsibilities as a veteran in the military, does that kind of coincide with some of the things that I need in the role in my organization? Again, I'll give you another example. I had an individual who, again, I, everybody who's listened to a couple of shows knows that I am a technical recruiter. So I, I deal with a lot of information technology and that I have a background in that aside from my military. So when I was recruiting for information technology department in a corporation, I had an individual that applied and he was a veteran. And I called him up because I liked what I saw on his resume and he had stated in his resume that he was a net network engineer or a network administrator, right? And dealing with computer networks. And when I talked to him, I, I would ask that question. I would say, hey, okay, was the nature of your discharge? Great. Um, what rank were you when you got out? Because um, then it shows me how he or she progressed or didn't. And you can even coincide that with the amount of years they had in. So if you're low ranking and you've been in the military for a long time, why? Now, Air Force individuals don't progress in rank typically as fast as maybe the Army does. And I don't, you know, so if somebody from the Army told me that, hey, I'm a private and they've been in the military for four years, I would scratch my head because there are uh, so, for example, specialist, you would typically get promoted after, I believe, when I was in, 26 months of service, regardless of your performance. You can get promoted sooner. So, if you get up higher in rank in shorter amount of time, that also will tell you the tenacity of the individual and how they have accomplished that 
So they weren't status quo. They didn't wait around to get promoted at the end of a 26 months. They, you know, I was, I think, promoted within, I think it was eight months that I was in. Um, so I climbed the rank pretty, pretty fast. And then I hit a, a brick wall for a couple of different reasons that I won't go into. And it has to do with how the promotion system works when you go from a non, uh, an enlisted individual staff member to a non-commissioned officer sergeant. Okay. There's a point system involved. It wasn't because I was a knucklehead, but somebody could argue that I might've been a knucklehead. I don't know. So moving on, I can look at them and kind of, okay, you are this rank. Great. What did, what was your MOS? And I may get it because I was in the army and I could maybe look it up. So they'll tell me and uh, gives me an idea. Okay, great. Then I'll go into the role that they did. I say, it looks like you have network administrator down. Yes. Okay. Tell me a little bit about um, your, your team and how you worked in a team. Were you a member of a section, like a small department? Um, were you assigned as an individual to another area? So there are some support roles, for example. Um, so medics in the Navy are actually corpsmen for the Marines, believe it or not. So a lot of Navy medics are actually members of Marine Corps units. They're kind of detached to them, okay? Or I should say attached to them. So just because they're in the Navy, they may be assigned to a Marine Corps unit. There's a few instances even in the Army where that happens. And all those, right, uh, different, different branches. So you can ask a little bit about that. And they will say, well, I was part of a four-person section. Squad is another term that they may use. And then you'll want to know where they fell in. Were they staff member? Like, were they the highest ranking? So, for example, if I was interviewing myself, I would say, yes, I was a corporal in a seven-person section. I was the second highest ranked individual I was assistant section chief. So I had a chief of section who's the boss. And then I was the number two person for the section. So when my chief was gone, he would assign to me like, hey, take the, take the section down, march the guys down to the motor pool and do uh, maintenance on our vehicle. And I'd go down there and I'd say, okay, guys, let's go, you know, line up, fall in. All right. And then I'd march them down there. And then I would, I would supervise them. Now, I wasn't the boss of the section, but I was assistant boss, assistant supervisor, if you want to call it that way. So then you can ask them that and find out where they were in that, in that section. What was their responsibilities compared to the others? And then ask them what they did day to day. Okay, so with this individual, I'd ask them that because I'm thinking network administrator, okay, this is what I think a network administrator does in the civilian world. But what was he or she doing as a network administrator in the army? And they'd say, well, I was deployed to Iraq. I was assigned to this unit and I would set up the equipment. And I'd go, great. Did you configure any of the equipment? You know, because they may not divulge it. One, because they may not think of divulging it. Or two, they may just leave your mind to wander. 
uh, and assume, which could happen. Like, oh, they think I'm going to, you know, but there's a difference in skill set from setting up equipment to actually configuring it. And this individual said, no, I was more administration. We had, I say, who would configure the equipment? And they would say civilian, uh, civilian um, contractors would configure the equipment. We'd have it delivered. And then I would set it up. And I would say, okay, great. What if something went wrong? How did that work? And they would say, well, then I'd contact somebody else. So that led me to believe like this person set up things and the job was more, not, I don't want to say menial, but not as complex as if they were maybe a higher ranking or actually configuring the equipment and actually troubleshooting the equipment. You know, this person received it, set it up, plugged in a bunch of cables, you know, made sure it worked. But if anything went awry, they would have to escalate it. And they didn't do any hardcore configuration, which is a whole nother level. So given that, I can understand their salary expectations because a lot of veterans, when they get out of the military, they, they don't know how their job skills are going to convert over. They don't know even what they may even get paid in the civilian world. They've been out for four years, six years, seven years. They don't know. They have to ask. And sometimes as recruiters, we have to educate those individuals. So for this person, I said, given your background and your experience and what you've told me, I'm just kind of setting things for you that your salary range that you're asking is probably a little bit high for our marketplace. And typically an individual with your background and skills in our market would probably find a salary you know, ranging from X to Y. And that's fine. They'll they'll understand what have you. And uh, you as a recruiter aren't out to lowball them as far as a salary goes. You just want to make sure you get them in the role that they're qualified to do and do well and succeed and also get paid competitively given the market. That's really what we should be doing. Not everybody does that, but that's really that's that's really what we should be doing. Yeah, I ask a lot of questions. Or you're an administrator. Okay, excellent. Tell me a little bit about the workflow, day to day. Now, I was combat. One of the things that I might list out on a resume, because I'm not going to get a job as a fire direction direction specialist um, doing artillery in the civilian world, I want to rely on some of the training that I have and some of the discipline that was instilled in me while being a soldier in the U.S. Army. Now, with my assistant section chief position, I could tell them a little bit about my leadership skills. Also, recruiters and hiring managers, you may want to know a little bit about how the military kind of works. Like, what is your schedule, right? How, tell me a little bit about your schedule, because I'm under the impression that you, you folks are in uniform 24-7. That's not necessarily the case, and they'll explain that to you. For example, for me, every day... Uh, I'd have to wake up at six in the morning and be in formation and uh, they don't, they don't tolerate tardiness in the military. There's a certain thing that you have to rely. Uh, let's face it. The military is trained to do um, some hard things in life, get deployed, um, face conflict. And when you're relying on your members of your team, you know, if you are, you work in payroll and you make a mistake, you fix it and you may get spoken to by your supervisor and it's corrected and somebody's inconvenienced. 
in the military, something like that happens. And I know this is going to sound a little cliche in movie in Hollywood, but if you do that, somebody could actually lose a life. So some of the things that they train you in in basic training is to make sure that you, in your timeliness and not being tardy and being reliable is hugely important, more so than even in the civilian world. Okay. So fleshing that out, I would say my leadership here's, you know, I have to be in, you know, show up in the morning and be accountable for what I have to do and when I have to do it. Even during training, you know, I would have to ensure the data that I put into a computer system is accurate. And once I put it in there, I have to verify it because again, if I don't, and I don't put in the right coordinates and somebody sees that and we shoot something down range, an artillery shell that's a hundred to 200 pounds, um, somebody's going to get hurt. So it's really a, the attention to the detail is something, I mean, exceeds a lot of things in the civilian world. Not always, but many times. Okay. Even just presence, you know, looking, you know, having a uniform pressed every day, um, boots I had to shine and make sure that they were tip top shape every day instilled that discipline attention to detail, okay, keeping your mind sharp, and then also training individuals in different aspects of the military, like first aid, and in those training, that a lot of that training, I went to primary leadership development course to prep me to, to achieve my sergeant rank, and in that course, they teach you how to lead individuals, how to work with individuals that are hard to manage, um, and then, of course, there's military things like na- you know, navigation, um, drill and ceremony, which is to uh, instill esprit de corps within the unit. So if you're going to become sergeant and you're going to march troops, you got to know all the commands. You got to know the cadence. And through that, you display your leadership. You convey and exude the confidence that's needed. Because when you're in a pickle and you're under a stressful situation, those things will keep your, your, your head level. And those are some of the things that a lot of organizations could use with individuals, um, even outside just the skills of the job. All right. I know we're a little bit over. I apologize, but I think that's the best way to kind of approach it. And of course, there's a lot more into it. But I think that if you have these things going through your mind as you're talking to veterans, as you're reviewing their resumes, as you're phone screening them in face-to-face interviews and getting through the, the different lingo and the different type of lifestyle that they have had, you can determine whether they're going to be a good fit for one, your organization and two, specifically your role and position. Okay, does that make sense? Again, if you have questions, drop me a line. I'd love to elaborate and and spell that out a little bit more. Officers, it's a little bit more straightforward because they would have had more administration background. They have degrees. They're kind of the the ROTC candidates, officer candidate school. They're from probably, they could be from an academy, which is like, you know, West Point or Annapolis, where they've gone through not only just a college education, but uh, with a bend of military, but they're probably going to be able to convey what they've done 
and it's going to transfer to civilian life probably a little bit better than some of the enlisted folks. Not to say that enlisted won't be qualified for good positions in your organization. It's just maybe easier to vet those officers, uh, the, the individuals with officer backgrounds. Okay. Again, if you have any questions, let me know. Um, Send me an email at sean at talentjockey.com or drop me a note in the comments like I mentioned. This will be at uh, talentjockey.com forward slash 018 is the episode number. Now, for veterans, I'll have to do another show for you folks. Um, you probably have gone through um, transition uh, courses, but maybe I can help you out in that space as well and how you convey your military backgrounds into civilians so that uh, you can get up a job when you're done with the army or Navy or air force or Marines or coast guard. All right. There you have it. Thanks so much for listening to talent jockey. I appreciate it. Have a good one.